Welcome to Deep Tracks Radio. It was not that easy trying to find a song for this week on the podcast, but we went back to a lesser-known Elton John song from 1981, I think, uh, Just Like Belgium. But that fits, and welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we are live at the Gateway Film Center. Yes! High Street in Columbus, Ohio, doing Fright Club Live, and it is the December holiday edition, and we have a wonderful Christmas story for you this evening. And it's uh, one of our top five Belgian horror movies and one that we think might be the all-time leader in lists here on the Fright Club, yes? Yep. I was thinking that it might be because it is. Uh, this film is, is in my personal top ten all-time. I love this movie so much, which strikes I, I thought to myself, well, then I bet it's been on a lot of my lists. Yeah. That seems likely. And it is. I think it is the, uh, the uh, belt holder. It's with eight. Okay. This has been the on Clubhouse eight. Leader. Clubhouse Leader. This has been on eight of our uh, podcast lists. All right, so we're going to see Colvair here in just a little bit. But first, we got some business. We have business from last week. We do. I just want to. So last week we finally did best black and white horror, and got yeah. with our buds from In the Record Store podcast, mm-hmm. Vincent Grant. And I tell you what, I got to give them a shout out because they came prepared. They did some homework. They, they did had some good lists. They did and some good, you know, thoughts about why they they chose those films. So nice work for them. But we had some uh, we had some complaints. That's all right. And I don't want to get whiny about it, but complainers, um, do you have any idea how many black and white horror movies there are? <laughs> a great deal. There is a great a great many. But some so Derek wanted to see Carnival of Souls. He's not the only one. Um, Carnival of Souls is a great Andy, one. There he is. Yeah. So um, duly noted, my friend. Duly noted, and you're not the only one. That was uh, that was a popular one. Our old friend Knack Mac wanted to see M. M almost made the list. I really do like yeah. M a great deal. It's a great movie. Um, and then uh, Knack Mac and also Colossal Bandit. They wanted to see Freaks. Now, to be fair, we talked about Freaks. We, we did. talked about it. But uh, you you always yell at me when I when I say, well, let's not talk about that because we just talked about it two weeks ago. You always just jump down my throat about that. that well, I just be mean it was in the also rants. It's not like it was ignored. It was in the also rants. I'm just, I know. I'm just poking at you, poking at you. <laughs> and then they also wanted to see the black and white version of The Mist, which is great. But come on, come on. So anyway, so that's my that's my cry. And then business. didn't didn't that get us talking about the the black and white Chrome version of Mad Max, which Knack Mac brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. Did anybody see that? Black, yeah. yeah. Is we it ne- awesome? Is it, we never got around to it, but I love that movie. We both love that movie so much, Fury so Road. So much. That uh, I would like to do that. We missed that somehow. But yeah. Although, I mean, I think the color version is pretty spectacular. Oh, it is. Like the, the color is. of the of the sand is yeah. really golden colored. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, I'll watch that no matter what color yeah. is in it, really. Agreed. Uh, but we're getting off the track. We um, are. Does that cover the uh, the business? That's right. Shout outs. Okay. Uh, we did. I do want to just point out. So I don't know if you know. We talk about Dark Dave on here a lot because he's sort of a constant presence. And if you get the opportunity, he is Phantom Dark Dave on Twitter. He writes poetry. He makes short movies, and he does these weird VHS tape battles all the time. He's just a fun guy to follow. Yeah, we've got a little side side group that I think got together <laughs> through us, and then they've gone off and they're doing their own thing. Yeah. So, you know, it's like we're, we're we're proud. We're watching them fly. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we might be do. taking more credit than we deserve. Maybe but. we do because no, <laughs> he does bring up these these cool movies to to battle it out. Old VHS tapes of which one is better. So anyway, uh, shout out to him. So uh, and everybody that chimed in about the black and whites, thank you. And uh, we are moving on to Belgian, just like Belgium, our favorite Belgian horror films. And uh, I 
I'm surprised how many they we've talked about almost all of these before, haven't we? No, no number five we haven't. Right? Haven't no, talked we about, have. We have. We have talked about number Was five. Was I here? There are, you know, it's funny. You may not realize how many great horror films come out of Belgium, and it's a lot. And I, they get mixed up with the French horror films, which are kind of my favorite, actually. I love French horror films. Belgian, they're a little bit different. They're a little bit weirder, I think, and they're not quite as uh, severe and brutal. You might disagree after we watch Calvair. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but there are two that could have made the list. I can't go fuzzy math the seven, so I just want to talk about, for one second, yeah. Cub. Which is uh, uh, is a flawed but but very interesting movie, and also the strange color of your body's tears, which is just a complete head trip, and it's really Italian for Belgian, but still it's it's worth checking out. So just yeah, wanted Cub to mention was those just two. a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, about two, maybe three years ago. I enjoyed that one. Mm-hmm. I'm actually surprised that's not on on the list. Well, these are five very strong movies. I'm- not arguing. I'm just surprised. You're just poking at me. Just poking at you. Yeah. So I didn't. I don't remember talking about number five before on a list, but I guess we have, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Well, let's start there, and that is from 2010, and it's called Vampires. Three years ago, a documentary film crew went into the underworld of Europe's secret vampire society. There were several unsuccessful attempts. Until they met the Saint Germains. So you watch that trailer, and of course, the first thing you think of is what we do in the shadows. Yeah, it but, came out about uh, 10 years before what we yeah. do in the shadows. Yeah. Um, and uh, 10 years? I thought this was 2010. I don't think so. Well, f- six years before we do in the shadows. That's fuzzy math. Yeah, it's my favorite kind. <laughs> we we just did some time traveling. Um, <laughs> yeah, it did. But that's one I I was really not too much aware of this movie at all. It's really funny and uh, very wry and clever, and uh, it's got some fun social commentary in it. You know, the the police in Belgium, you know, they they're sort of aware of these people, and as long as they don't make too much of a mess, that's what you see. They deliver illegal aliens to their door, and they keep them. the The vampire family keeps them in a garden out back, and then there's a, a woman who lives sort of in their kitchen, and she's for snacking. And there's a. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And there's a, a couple that lives in their basement, and, and as a part of the community, once you sort of are elevated to certain status, they give you, you sort of bite teenagers, and then you get to have children, and those are your children. And the family and the, the couple in the basement, they, they're not there yet, so they have to stay in this nasty basement. It's really quite funny. It's very clever social commentary. And then if you get banished, you get banished to Canada, which I thought was just <laughs> hysterical. I think they also they also have some fun with the you know traditional vampire lore where where sometimes the vampires in this one have a reflection in the mirror and sometimes they don't. Yeah, and he goes back and forth and keep track of how you know who does and who doesn't. And then of course the the rebellious teenage daughter wears pink and uh, you know wears her hair in a ponytail and she wants to be a cheerleader. <laughs> yeah, that's the only way you can rebel, exactly. I guess, if you're in a family of vampires. <laughs> and that is number five, starting off on a light note uh, before we get weird and really creepy for the rest of the uh, top four in our Belgian horror. And number four, one boy, this one has been on a lot of lists too, I it think. It has. Um, without an unofficial count, but I bet it's been a bunch. And that's from 2006, it's them. In the still of the night, we hear things. We see things. We imagine things that aren't always there. But tonight, your imagination.
imagination isn't playing tricks. And neither are they. I love this movie. Um, it's this great cat and mouse film. It's very short. It's well under 90 minutes long. And um, it's just incredibly tense and fast-paced. It's got a lot of, you can tell, a lot of The Strangers. And it actually came out before The Strangers. But it's got a very similar concept. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a little bit of Eden Lake for me, which some of you would know. I love some Eden Lake. Um, and, uh, and and it's interesting because, uh, for one thing, the, the main characters seem very normal. It's a couple of, of teachers who've moved to Belgium to become teachers and living in this old giant big house, and they, they haven't lived there long, and what are these creaks? Are they just regular noises? They're not, by the way, P.S. Um, and and I, I, I don't want to, especially because the trailer really doesn't give away too much, I don't probably want to give away too much if, if you haven't seen it, but uh, there's a particular theme in this movie that I have always found very scary, and I love horror films that exploit this particular theme, and I think this movie does it better than a lot. And it's the true story, the true events that were based on, were they were based on an Australian, an Austrian couple that was terrorized by three teenagers in a vacation home in Romania. So that's the, the based on actual event story. And actually, when it came out, they tried a little bit of the the Blair Witch type of viral type marketing. They, as a gimmick, the, the official website for the movie ran a mock news interview where a woman who was supposed to be the one character's sister pleaded for her safe return of her mi- m- missing sister and Lucas. So they tried to get on a little bit of that on a smaller scale, but sure. to, to get you f- feeling like, hey, this might be real um, because, as we said, it was based on a, a real event. But, you know, one of the things that's great about it is, I mean, it, 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 it wastes no time. It's just very spare and um and brutal and you know strangely poignant and it, and it really plays on your emotions and and just keeps you sort of incredibly tense the entire time and some of it involves you talk about a, a phobia when they're crawling through they crawl yeah. through a lot of tunnels and tight spaces and i hate that i just hate <laughs> that and apparently the, the lead um actress did too and according to the director a lot of that her scare on her face was real because <laughs> that those those tight spaces like in uh, the descent when she's caught and you think she's going to be caught forever in that, oh, my God, I hate that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, we won't go into the other type of theme that it, uh, that it touches on mm-hmm. uh, for fear of spoilers. But it is. It's tense and it's fast-paced and it's go. Yeah, it is. You know, uh, right, up, right up to the end. So that is our number four. 2006, it's them, leads up to uh, our number three from 2014. Hallelujah. So this film is, is loosely based on the Lonely Hearts Killers, uh, and there are at least two other films that I'm aware of that are the same basic concept, the same basic story. One of them has John Travolta, and it's god-awful. And, and Selma <laughs> Hayek, I know, I know, I'm so shocked. I don't know if you could hear on the podcast the audible gasp <laughs> of surprise from the audience, but it was, it was out there. I'm sorry, go ahead. But, uh, but this one is just spectacular. Fabrice Duels, who also directed Culver, uh, who's nuts, and uh, just magnificent. And then uh, Laurent Lucas, who is also in Calvary. So it's this, this is great um, sort of 
uh, chain of events. They're not related. The two films aren't related, and yet there are a ton of callbacks to Calvary in Alleluia. But the thing that really makes it amazing, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a story of a couple who kind of prey on lonely women and then kill them for their money. Um, and the, the, the two pretend they're brother and sister, but they're actually lovers. And it's the sister slash lover who just goes insane and, and generally, as you saw in the trailer, often kills the women before they even have the chance to give them the money because she's so mad with jealousy. Um, and it's an interesting story, but for this particular version of it, the two performances are just unhinged they're brilliance. Great. That's, that's really what sells it. And what I love, too, is in the beginning, of course, the, the man is the is the criminal and he's the shady one and then the farther it goes she just becomes batshit nuts right well the man at the beginning is not a killer he's just a con artist he's a con artist so he's a and and he's taking advantage of her she's lonely and she's sure. she has your your sympathy and then she just goes off the rails and both of their performances are great but hers just goes off into another a whole yeah. other dimension. Yeah, it's just magnificent. Yeah. It really is. And what I love about uh, about his performance, Lauren Lucas, is that it's just so weird. It's just <laughs> so weird. You can tell, you see, just for a second in the trailer, he's he's just staring at this old woman's foot, and he's all aroused by this old woman's foot. And he's always <laughs> licking these old ladies' faces. It's just like, what the, the hell is happening? That's how they do it in Belgium, I guess. <laughs> I guess it is. <laughs> yeah, but it is. It's, it gets gradually creepier. And it also has, you know, it's a little poignant about loneliness. Yeah, yeah. You know, especially in the beginning. She's she's so lonely, and she wants so badly uh, to have a connection, a relationship. And, of course, that's what he preys upon. And then, yeah, she just, he, he just gets wide-eyed with, like, how the type of person that she becomes. And then if you see it, it's one of those, like Calvert, where you kind of have to pay attention to and to the ending and decide, what do you think it's saying? There, there are different, I think there are, multiple interpretations you could have without spoiling anything about what the ending might mean. So we'll leave it at that, Okay. I guess. But Calvair is, is kind of the same way. Uh, and that is number three, hallelujah. And number two in our top five of our favorite Belgian horror films, 1992, Man Bites Dog. Yeah, and as it says there in the trailer, the actual translation of the title is it it happened in your neighborhood or it takes place close to your home because there's a lot of social commentary in this. Because, Tons. Because it's a, it's a fake documentary mm-hmm. about following a ruthless killer around about his daily routine and then the complications that's, that's set in. And there's some dark, dark comedy, as you can tell, from the trailer. And it has a lot to say about media. And, and violence and society, and it, it has a lot of really memorable moments in making those points. I think one of the things, so it, it's, uh, it's a very low-budget film, and all of the writers and directors are also in it. They play the documentary crew, they play the killer, and the whole film is really about... Um, you know, where the line is drawn in terms of objectivity and also tra- commercialism. And, you know, and as the, the film crew follows him around and documents what he does, at some point the 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 sort of definition of, of what is and isn't complicit gets very, very vague and then until eventually they're all in and they're, you know, and it's, it is really dark. It's really unsettling, the film. And I think partly because it's so comedic. It's just sort of, you just sort of feel, feel filthy. Well, and also because in the years since this has been made, the, the points it's bringing up have only gotten worse. And you think about 
then this is the concerns they had and then how would it how would the same movie be done now you know and the points they would bring up it's it's only gotten worse in blurring that line as we've seen even even more here in the last you know few months but uh, it it does it gets really darkly comic but and, and again, though the performances are just unbelievable, just amazing performances. Yeah, they really are. And there's some that you know, even though it gets comic, that's not to say there are some unsettling, uh, very unsettling scenes in this. Yes, yeah, um, very. But but it it really it doesn't. I don't think it it doesn't pull pull punches in the way in, in what it wants to say, and it's it's not afraid to to get nasty, but yet stay uh, stay darkly comic, mm-hmm. um, and it and it holds that. It's obviously got a got a uh, a gimmick but it doesn't seem gimmicky no it in does doing not it. no yeah so that's uh man bites dog from 1992 leaving room at the top for the one we're going to see here in just a few minutes and we won't talk too much about it but it is from 2004 call there or the ordeal okay let's sneak away so we can talk about it So it's a few days before Christmas, and Mark is a traveling entertainer whose van gets stuck in a remote wooded area, and he finds a place that he thinks he can get some help, and then uh, he's in for, as the title says, an ordeal. Yeah, I reviewed this movie when it came out, and I said that if David Lynch had directed Deliverance in French, it might have been Calvert. (laughs) Yeah, and that still fits, because it... It's all those things. It's creepy and it's weird and it's freaky and yet it is set right before Christmas. It has this weird parallel to a religious story. Yeah, uh, and there are definitely some religious symbols. We don't oh, want to give those away right. at all. Uh, but you know what else I really love about it? Um, it's going to remind you of a handful of movies. You already brought up uh, Psycho, and it's got a couple of moments, mm-hmm. a couple of moments throughout that make you think of Psycho. There is a lot of taxidermy, for example, and there's some <laughs> some dialogue that is that is pulled directly from the yeah. movie, like you said. Especially that one, the one dinner scene. Yeah. But then the other thing is, there's a scene. Uh, there is a dinner scene that when you, it starts, this camera starts rotating around, and and Mark is crying and wailing, and the other two people are kind of laughing in this menacing way, and then the camera spins, and the camera spins, and you can't help but think, God, this is just like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then there's this extreme close-up on Mark's eye, and you're like, it is! It's just like the Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre! So it's interesting how, <clears throat> excuse me. And Mark is the is the traveling Mark is singer. The, the, yeah. the poor the poor singer. Yeah. Um, it's just um, it's interesting. I mean, it's a you would never call this movie derivative in any possible way. It's a unique and bizarre experience. But it's interesting the way Duell's, you know, um, uh, pays tribute to some some influences throughout. Yeah, and it's got a lot of different themes working in it that lend itself the movie lends itself to different interpretations it's always i'm always fascinated to to read uh people's interpretations or talk to other people that think about what certain scenes may mean or or don't mean and i i like how the in the beginning before his van breaks down mark the singer has some has a, a woman that he has that was in the audience at one of his uh, performances a couple actually yeah uh make advances mm-hmm. toward him and the way that turns out compared with what happens to him later is a very interesting juxtaposition on roles yes. and and who is playing what role here and even later 
And I think one of the things people like to talk about about this movie, later on when things happen, certain a way you could look at it is how many of these characters are real? Maybe some aren't real. Maybe there's only a very limited number of actual characters in this movie, and then go on and on. I'm not saying that's what I believe. No, I'm yeah, saying- I, I can't I can't really get behind that theory, but I can see where it yeah. could, takes a root. But one of the things, and you and I have talked about this before, I mean, you it, it, it asks so many questions that it doesn't answer. Like, for example, where are all the women in this village? Right. Where, where are they? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one intriguing question. And uh, And Bella, what... Bella is the dog, by the way. What happened to Bella? Yeah. Um, it's just and the guy that's chasing him Boris, all the time and looking yeah. Boris, who's looking for the lost dog. And then, of course, we have talked about the dance scene. Yeah, epic. Which was might have been the reason we had a podcast on dance scenes. I think it was. <laughs> Although, you know what? Once we did that, we looked into it, and there are a lot of great dance there scenes are, in horror movies. There are, but this is the one that, if, there, if nothing else... You walk out of this movie, you will always remember that dance scene <laughs> and just that weird, the, the really the only two places in the movie where there's any music at all, just that weird piano. It's hardly even, it's just banging yeah. on a piano in some sort of rhythmic method that starts them swaying back and forth, and that's some sort of dance, and it's... It's hypnotically weird. It is, and you know what though? I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to sell it as a cheery film. It's a difficult movie to watch. It's oh, brutal. It's not cheery. No. no, it's brutal in 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 many different scenes and in in very different ways. Tough to watch, but kind of uh, you know, I think a theme through all of these, most of these films on this list, is this just bizarre sense of humor mm-hmm. that isn't funny. It's more unsettling than anything. Yeah. And again, another part of this movie that can be read different ways is the very end. Maybe the last, one of, if not the last lines of dialogue. Yes. What it means, why it's said, mm-hmm. um, that that can be debated back and forth too uh, without giving too much away. So it's uh, it's easily, I think, easily number one on this, oh, on yeah. this list. We have a lot of love. Uh, and if you've listened to this podcast, you know that. A lot of love for Colvert or The Ordeal from 2004. So if you haven't seen it, please do look it up. And uh, with that, we better get back in there and watch it. So we're going to see this in just a few minutes, and I know some people here haven't seen it, so we're not going to certainly give anything away. But just a couple of things to think about while you're watching it. The very limited use of music, uh, how they use it and, and how effectively they use it. Also, there's a dinner scene between the two main characters, and just something to keep in mind, it was modeled after conversations between um, Norman and Marion in Psycho, how the way the conversations go back and forth. And again, another one like um, like his other film we talked about, Hallelujah. Think about the ending and, and, what, and what it might mean. In fact, one of the last lines of dialogue, and I will leave it at that. I think that you guys are going to love it, particularly the dance scene. That's my guess. I think you are all going to love the dance scene in this so movie. Great. Um, and I think George would look nice in a, in a red flowery dress. That's what I think. <laughs> That's what I think. No animals were harmed as far as I know. That's all I'm saying. Um, and we just want to let you know, so this podcast will be up on Monday. The next podcast that we do, we are going to count down the 10 best horror films of 2016 with our co-host, 
Bridget Oliver from Columbus, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> she argues with us about the Neon Demon. So, so this and a, with us, I mean me. She argues with me about the Neon Demon. And those will both be up on uh, madwolf.com. Uh, this one will be up on Monday. And as always, keep the feedback uh, going, the conversation going on Twitter. We're at Madwolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, or Madwolf Columbus on Facebook. And with that, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay right, my friends. Well, Merry Christmas. It's Calvair. Yay!